Grace, peace, and mercy be upon you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's go back to the eighth grade, shall we? No? Do you remember what you were like in the eighth grade? Yeah? Or do you want to remember? Have you purposely forgotten? <laughs> Recently, I, I heard our LCMS District President Paul Lineman say something I'm not going to forget for a long time. Before becoming a pastor, he was a Lutheran school teacher for over 20 years, an eighth grade school teacher. And he told us pastors at a, at a conference recently that in his experience as a district president these last 12 years, he's come to the conclusion that most of us adults don't seem to progress that much past the eighth grade. Much of the same kind of behaviors, emotions, and personality traits he saw in all the years teaching eighth graders, he sees the same thing in adults of all ages. That's pretty interesting, isn't it? I mean, I, that's his opinion, but I don't believe he's just making it up. That's an that's a educated observation <laughs> and evaluation. So think about what you were like in the eighth grade and what you're like now. Do you think you were similar to what you were like then? Okay. You think you've progressed to the point that you're nothing like you were back then? Hopefully. <laughs> yeah, either way, either way. I doubt any of us, when we were 12 or 13 years old, evaluated ourselves that much, you know? If at all. You know, I don't remember saying to myself any time back then, why do I think the way that I do? Why do I say the things that I say the way that I say them? Why do I feel what I'm feeling? You know, I mean, that kind of self-reflection and inward thinking doesn't come until you're older, right, and more seasoned in life. You remember what it's like to be young, though. You go through life believing, this is the way I am. This is just the way things are. I'm normal. I'm right. I'm the standard. There's something wrong with everyone else. Do you still think that way? It may be truer than we wish to admit that we're not so different than we were in the eighth grade. Now, why not all of us be the sermon illustration for the book of James in the Bible? We've already had a couple of readings. We think we've got a couple more to go, so I might preach on those uh, in the coming weeks. Let's just use ourselves as a sermon illustration for James. You know, stop and consider our actions more carefully. If we can think about the way we're thinking, feeling, and acting, we can catch ourselves being less than kind to people and not ignore it. Or just think that it's, you know, it's the way it is. It's normal. We can ask ourselves, I have the ability at the most difficult moments in life to love my fellow human being or not. So what's it going to be? What's going to be the most Christ-like thing to do? We can ask ourselves this. 
And by the end of each day, we'll see things in us which need forgiving. And we'll understand ourselves better. We'll be more aware of our sin. But the Holy Spirit will use this for good. He'll have us appreciate our strong and loving Savior, Jesus Christ, all the more. So three days from now, check your awareness of your heart's motivations and your actions. Consider if you found yourself sowing and bringing forth a greater harvest of peace in and around you, appreciating and reflecting the great Savior that you have and how His death on the cross and resurrection for you truly makes a difference inside and around you. Just the other day, Jill and I are watching TV, and a commercial comes up with a young man asking these kinds of questions, saying these very similar things that I just said to you in the last minute. And, you know, the, and, and also he's saying, talking about the importance of returning to church for regular and frequent worship and how it makes a difference for the better on TV. I mean, my ears popped up. You, you never hear this kind of thing on TV unless it's a commercial for the Church of Latter-day Saints. Uh, but even then, that's mostly about like family values. This was about returning to church. I'm like, what is this, Jill? Well, it was a return to the Lord message from the Catholic Church. And that's pretty significant, especially during this time of increased apathy in our nation toward God and the church. Perhaps we Lutherans ought to do the same. It's very expensive to run a commercial on network television, uh, but uh, you know, if we pool our resources, maybe we could do it. James is an excellent book in the New Testament half of your Bible in which we can learn from the Spirit to consider the things we think and say and do. You all ought to read James in one sitting. I have done it. It doesn't take very long. Read the whole thing from beginning to end because he's got a whole thought process going on through the Holy Spirit with little sub-messages. And on Sundays, we get the little sub-messages, but not the whole thought. But just in chapter 3 and 4, though, which you heard a little bit ago, we learn that the war of our desires within is so destructive to us and others around us that only God's power to overcome sin can win a blessed harvest of peace. So, you know, picture one of the farms out here in the Willamette Valley, and the combines are rolling along, harvesting tons and tons of peace between people. You and those around you harvesting peace around us. That's a lot of peace, right? And that's the picture that James is trying to get to you and me, his hearers. And that should be our heart's desire. God can change our hearts to desire him and his peace. As long as we're in this body, uh, corrupted by sin though, the devil gets your thoughts, urges, and body parts to sin. And the mouth says awful things. The ears hear gossip 
and it's recorded in our, in our brains and kept safe for later broadcast. The eyes see lustful things and the hands steal and slap. Jesus talks about all this and he, or I'm sorry, James talks about all this and he agrees with the Apostle Paul and what Paul wrote to the Christians in Rome. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I, yeah, should not or hate. That's the war within our hearts. We know what's right and good and we want to do that, but we do the opposite, earthly unspiritual things. Satan doesn't do this just to bring mayhem. He's got a harvest of his own he wants to reap. He's trying to bring down the entire church on earth. And he's banking on a harvest of strife that can be sown within the church by people given to petty jealousy, selfish ambition, and pridefulness, among many other vices. And James here shows the purpose of the tempter is not only to wreak havoc inside of you, but also to have it out in the open. Mash, mass casualties in the church, that's what he wants. Bring it down with quarrels and fights and, and passions that are at war in us. Which is interesting because it's not like the devil doesn't know he's the loser. He knows this. He knows he's not going to reap his harvest fully. And yet he continues. And that's perhaps that's why he's so voracious a devourer of human souls. I don't know. The last thing any of us should try to do is get into the mind of the devil. You know, C.S. Lewis would tell, us, would tell me right now to stop. <laughs> don't go there. So let's turn back to the cross of Christ then. Because the sinfulness we bring with us to church on Sunday can be dealt with by the forgiveness of God and His grace. It's why our church must always be a place where people can have, people who have bad things happen to them or have bad things known about them still be loved and cared for as the baptized children of God that we are. There's no license to sin, but we all do. But getting honest about it and being forgiven by God, that's good. And it brings a harvest of peace. Now moving along up to chapter 4 in James, we see a list of bad acts by church people. Casualties of the war of sin in people's hearts. And this is one reason why in a Lutheran church service, a divine service, which this is called because it's God's service to us, right? Not the other way around. We have the confession and absolution at the beginning of the service. Which is why you don't want to be late for church, right? You know, you don't want to, you don't want to miss out on getting the goods from God. Because we need it. Some may believe they don't deserve it. They've gone too far in life with sin. That There's, there's no way that they can be forgiven. But that's not the reality. You may not be able to re release yourself from these feelings. And maybe you've remained troubled by your sin for decades. Even though you've received the good news of forgiveness during the divine service thousands of times in your lifetime. Don't despair. 
Don't give up. Jesus is greater than all your sins strung together. Rely on Jesus, who is your only hope. His cross is payment for your well-deserved punishment, and that goes for all of us. Me too. The empty tomb is our guarantee of life forever on a new earth with no more sin and no more problems. A forever healing and recovery from the casualties of the war of sin within us. Yes, there's a war going on right now. But God refuses to lose it. He refuses to lose you. And it's interesting the way James puts it. God yearns jealously. God yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in you, us, yeah. When we hear the word jealous, you know, we think of a jealous boyfriend, a jealous girlfriend or something, you know, uh, a, a petty feeling or emotion we don't think very positively about. But if there's anyone you want to be jealous over you, it's God. For him to be jealous over you is to say he wants you to live with him in the place he's prepared for you forever because he made you for that very purpose. And he doesn't want his fallen angel, Satan, to have you. It's a, it's a jealousy not to harm or control or be abusive, but an exclusive, perfect love for your benefit. And his jealousy triumphs and puts the competition out of its misery. One day, on that last day of this earth, Satan will, at Jesus' command, be thrown permanently in the place God has prepared for him and his angels, the lake of fire. And he will be gone from us forever. No superhero movie has an ending that awesome or meaningful. God has a wonderful way of dealing with the war within us, the war fed and funded by the devil, there's fire and lightning and a huge and huge multi-headed beasts being thrown into lakes of molten lava. How cool is that? Huh? How awesome. But the most wonderful way that he has dealt with sin is the cross. Not as spectacular to look at, but all the more amazing in the power it worked. To save you and me from death and the devil. This is the harvest of peace which is sown to God's will and reaped in His good pleasure. You and I are the fruit of His harvest, and there are many more in our community, in our towns and cities that are awaiting this harvest. So read James. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up, hold you in high regard, and speak well of you. That's what exalt means. He's made you his child and wants you to love him and all those he has made in his image. Amen.